for those of you who are visiting, I know you thought you walked into a Presbyterian church. Well, you did, actually. Imagine Presbyterians who, uh, who take the Holy Spirit seriously. That's awesome. Our pastoral team attended a conference in Post Falls, Idaho, two weeks ago. We knew we were in Idaho when the senior pastor came out for a question and answer session dressed in camo from top to bottom. There he is. And just to underscore the point, his pulpit is made out of deer antlers. Let's take a look at that one. Yeah. So, there you go. I asked if I could have a pulpit made out of coffee cups or something. I, I, they know their culture because that church has really made a difference uh, in that community. They have something like 5,000 people involved in what they call their home groups. And, uh, and they would say that their church is what really takes place in those home groups, not on Sunday morning. Church, for them, is what happens in those home groups, those small group settings of relational disciple-making. In fact, the uh, senior pastor, when he talked to us, he had a warning about the Sunday mornings, a warning that he calls the show. He said, if your church is mostly about the show, what, ta- what takes place in an hour on Sunday morning then you had better make sure that every week the show is more and more and more awesome. And you had better be aware that when someone else comes along with a better show, people are going to desert you for the new thing. That's a very provocative comment, given how much we understand church to be about Sunday morning. I hope that you don't see this as the show. I hope that we never see this as the show. But this really does raise some very important questions about the motives behind worship. Why do we come to church? Why do we do what we do? And Jesus asked those very same questions, as it turns out, in this sermon series that we're dealing with, the Sermon on the Mount. We discovered today some very hard words, as a matter of fact. It's going to be one of those moments where you just kind of, kind of lean into this, because the words of Christ are going to be hard for us as we listen to what He has to say to us his revolutionary disciples. Last week he was saying, I want you to love those who hate you. This week he says, I don't want you to be a phony worshiper. So let's turn to what the Lord Jesus has to say as we continue in our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 1. You'll find it on page 817 in your pew Bibles. It's a long reading, but again, lean into this. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, They have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then drop down to verse 16. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you please take these hard words and speak them to our hearts in the ways that we need to receive them, not as a church, but one by one by one. May we receive your word for us this day, and may we be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you take a look on the screens, I want to show you, you're going to see the city of Sephoris. Sephoris, this is a, a, a well-known and really a extensive Roman city. What might be surprising to you is to discover that it was built seven miles from Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. This is in Israel, the Holy Land, and it was built in the time of the occupation of Rome. It's a, it's, it's a great Roman city, a significant Roman city, and as every great Roman city, it had one particular feature. And it's this. It had a theater. Every great Roman city had a theater. The Romans were obsessed with with theater, and so did Sephoris. What is fascinating is this was being built about the time that Jesus was a boy. So if you imagine, allow your imagination to run a little while, uh, Sephoris is only seven miles from Jesus' hometown. Joseph was a craftsman, a carpenter, and probably a stoneworker as well. It's not hard to imagine that Joseph and his apprentice son Jesus were part of the hundreds and thousands of people who were part of the building of this great theater. It's speculation, of course, but we imagine. We do know this, though. Jesus and every other Jew in that region would have known what the theater, how much it meant to the Romans, the obsession that they had with it. For there were theaters here and in Jericho and in Samaria and in Jerusalem. And the Jew would have known something else, too. They would have known what they called the actors, what the Romans called the actors, for they had a name for that. And as a matter of fact, you know the Greek name for actor as well. What is it? Hypocrite. Hypocrites. Hypocrite. That was the name for actor. That's what it meant. It was the play actor, the one who was behind the mask on a stage entertaining the spectators. Guess who changed the meaning of that word? Always a safe answer here, Jesus. Jesus is the first person, the first person we are aware of in ancient literature to use hypocrite in the way that we use it today. Jesus was the first one to use hypocrite to mean a phony, someone who is inauthentic, someone who is play-acting to entertain onlookers. And I think it's safe to say Jesus hated hypocrisy. He spoke against it every chance he could, especially in religion, right? especially in religion. He was relentless in his criticism of those who pretended to be one thing on the outside, but were in fact something else entirely on the inside, in their hearts. And here in this morning's text, 
In this teaching, in chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns his attention to hypocritical worship. Verse 1 really serves as a heading for the first half of this chapter. And in verse 1, Jesus says this, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What do you think is the key word in this phrase? The key phrase. The key, I mean the key phrase in this verse. What is the key phrase? To be seen. To be seen. Do you know what the word is? The Greek word there is theathenai. Take a look at the word theathenai. Go back. What does that word look like? Theater. The word means literally to be theater to them. Be careful not to be theater to them. To play act for them. When you are performing righteous deeds, when you're performing acts of worship, be careful not to put on a religious act so as to be seen by others. And then he offers three illustrations of the point he's making. The first illustration is ostentatious giving. Be careful when you give to the needy not that you do not do it in order to receive honor from men. Remember, this was a culture that tithed. And by tithe, we don't just mean any giving. Tithing is 10%. The Jewish culture believed that the tithe, the first 10% of everything they made, everything they created, everything they grew, belonged to God. A good observant Jew would never think of spending that first 10%, the first fruits, for they would consider it, as Malachi put it, stealing from God. And beyond that, though, they gave more. They gave offerings, extra gifts that went to help the poor. To be generous in the Lord's work at the time was considered honorable to the point that when someone gave a particularly large gift, he might be invited up to the front of the synagogue and praised by the rabbi, literally accompanied by the sound of trumpets as he walked to the front. So just just imagine, just imagine this. I'm up here and I say, everyone, I want you to know... That John Smith, this last week, just gave a gift of $100,000. Let's give it up for John and up he would come and we'd make a big deal about it. Would we be comfortable with that? Not really. And yet it happened all the time. Jesus said, if you give ostentatiously for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself, you are a hypocrite, an actor putting on a show. And whatever honor you get from your spectators better satisfy you because you will get no reward from God. But then he goes on. But my authentic disciples, my followers, they give to show how much they love the God who has given them everything. That is why we give. To show how much we love the God who gave everything to us in the first place, including His Son. They give to please God. They give to Him then secretly. They don't even let the left hand know what the right hand has pulled out of the pocket. And He says, when you give in that way, you are going to bask in God's pleasure. Number one, ostentatious giving. Number two example He gives of this inauthentic worship is ostentatious prayer. In Israel, this January, when a bunch of us are going to go, one of our stops will be the Western Wall in Jerusalem, one of the holiest spots in Jerusalem. And when we go there, we're going to stand and we are going to see this taking place. 
very ostentatious, very loud, very public displays of prayer. And that was the case in Jesus' time too. Men would stand out on the streets and they would pray loudly and boisterously to the point that others would look over at them and say, my, what a holy person he must be. And Jesus says, if you pray ostentatiously for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself, you are a hypocrite, an actor putting on a show. And Whatever honor you get from your spectators, that better satisfy you because you're going to get no reward from God. But then he goes on. But my authentic disciples, because they want a deeper relationship with the Heavenly Father who loves them, they pray. They want to talk. They want to hear from God. And a God who is not interested in long-winded, fancy prayers, he wants a genuine conversation with them. So when my disciples find it's time to pray, they go into the supply closet and they lock the door and they spend time alone with God and bask in His presence and His pleasure. Ostentatious giving, ostentatious prayer, and then the third example Jesus offers is ostentatious fasting. Obviously, fasting is giving up something, usually food. In that time, it was giving it up for a period of time in order to center your heart and your thoughts upon the Lord. It is an act of sacrifice and self-control that focuses your spiritual attention. There were all kinds of fasts in the Jewish religion. And if someone wanted to be noticed for the fact that they were observing their fast, they would take ashes out of the fireplace and they would place their ashes on their head in the same way that they did when they were mourning someone who had died. It was the same act of mourning. Put the ashes upon their head. And so when people saw them, they said, Look, look, he must be fasting. What a holy person he is. Look how miserable he is. And Jesus says, If you fast ostentatiously for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself, you are nothing but a hypocrite. You are acting out a play. And you better be satisfied with the applause and the honor you're receiving from your spectators because you will have no reward from God. And then he goes on to say, but my authentic disciples, they fast because they're learning how to control themselves. They're learning to control their appetites and their passions and their habits rather than them controlling themselves. And they focus instead upon their relationship with God. So he said, when it's time for you to fast, there's nothing to mourn about. It's a cause for joy. You're growing closer to God. So when it comes time for you to fast, I want you to wash your face and comb your hair, put on your best cologne. I want you to look fresh as a daisy. I don't want anyone to have a clue when they look at you that you're fasting because that is between you and God. So in summary, the Lord says, my revolutionary disciples are authentic. They're not ostentatious. They are, th- are authentic in the way that they, that the way they give and the way they pray and the way they fast. In these and all of the other acts of worship, they're not trying to impress the onlookers. They are trying to be noticed and rewarded by one person, and that is God alone. So he says, I want you to practice g- generosity and prayer and fasting in secret so that only God notices And only God rewards. Notice, by the way, reward is okay. It's mentioned a lot. You might ask, though, does that mean then that we never pray out loud? I mean, no more public prayers, right? 
No. Not necessarily. Later on in Matthew, we find Jesus more than once praying out loud in public. You might ask, does that mean that we never witness then in the way that we give? We never witness with our giving to others. Not necessarily. In Acts chapter 4, the early church members, if you recall, they sold all of their possessions and they laid the money at the disciples' feet publicly as an act of sacrifice and testimony. The issue here is not the secrecy. The issue is the audience. If we give so that others will notice, if we pray so that others will be impressed, if we fast so that others will honor our spirituality, if we do any acts of righteousness for the purpose of being seen by others, then we're performing for the wrong audience. And like hypocrites, we are seeking the praise and the applause of onlookers. And when we do, the only, only, only important audience of one, God Almighty, sits back and says, I hope you enjoyed the applause because that's all you're going to get. Jesus says, I don't want ostentatious worshipers. I want authentic worshipers. That's the meaning of this passage. That's the clear meaning of this passage. And I had the hardest time writing this sermon. And do you know why? Because it seems almost entirely irrelevant to our culture. It seems almost entirely irrelevant to our culture. We are not a culture that tithes or gives generously. We are not a culture that prays regularly. We are not a culture that sacrifices things to to honor God. Even as a church, we aren't exactly overwhelmed with ostentatious givers in our church. And maybe it's because we don't put donors' names on buildings. Or hang donors' banners from rafters. But I don't spend a lot of time walking around here telling people, you know, you really are giving too much. I want you to give less so that someone else can do their part. Because we aren't a culture that believes in tithing. We aren't a church culture that believes in tithing. Much less extra offerings beyond that. We think of the tithe as belonging to the Old Testament and we think of the tenth as kind of the gold standard. Listen, tithe in the Old Testament was just the starting point. Did you know that? Beyond the tithe, there were these other offerings that were expected. Someone has calculated that the actual percentage of giving in the Old Testament for the faithful follower of God was 23.3%. And if you don't like that, if you want to say, hey, that's Old Testament standard, do you know what the New Testament standard was of giving was every time we looked there? 100%. They gave everything they had. The average giving here is less than 3%. And there are hundreds of us who give nothing. Nothing. And whenever we do have stewardship campaigns, every time we do, we have people who turn in blank pledge cards so that it will look like they're pledging something when in fact they're not. We claim to be followers of Christ and to believe that everything we have is a gift from the Lord, but with some notable and important exceptions, most in this church are anything but ostentatious givers. We throw God a few crumbs And if there's anything left over after we've met all of our needs and all of our wants. And we aren't exactly ostentatious prayers either. I've never had to 
Go to someone in the church and say, you know all that praying that you've been doing down in Jerusalem Park? Those prayers for the city and for the unsaved people of Gig Harbor? It's a little over the top. I wonder if you could tone it down a bit. Again, with some notable exceptions, we are a church of people who can hardly find time to pray. We've got plenty of time for emails, plenty of time for texts, plenty of time for TV, plenty of time for Facebook, plenty of time for the Seahawks. But to actually view our time of talking with God regularly and authentically and intensely as a priority in our life? Not hardly. And we sure aren't ostentatious fasters. I'm not aware of anyone who fasts on a regular basis, myself included. Of course, those who are fasting according to Jesus' principles aren't going to tell anybody, so I may not know. But I suspect that very few of us regularly give up food or TV or Facebook or anything as a part of a spiritual discipline to quiet our lives and focus upon the Lord. As I reflected on this passage this week, I found myself thinking, honestly, I wish this were my problem. I wish my problem as a pastor of this flock was to discourage ostentatious spiritual displays, to confront overly generous, overly prayerful, overly sacrificial people because they're not doing it from the right motives. I wish that was my problem. But the fact is, as a church, as a church, we can't even get to the the core teaching of Jesus here, which is authenticity and heart. Because we haven't gotten past the first word of his teaching in all of these areas. Do you know what the first word of his teaching is in each one of these areas of worship? When. 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 When you give, verse 2. When you pray, verse 5. When you fast, verse 16. What is the assumption there? That you do it. The starting assumption of Jesus is that we do it, that we do give generously, that we do pray regularly, that we do fast as a part of our discipline. That was their culture. That was the expectation of all who called themselves Jews. But our expectation, our culture, our assumptions are so much more modest. If we show up at church once or twice a month, If we throw 10 bucks in the plate, if we say grace at dinner, if we give up chocolate for Lent, that is what passes for ostentation in today's Christian world. In truth, far from being ostentatious about our faith, we are a Christian culture that wants to blend in. We don't want to stand out. We want to hide our faith. And we choose practices of living and giving and worshiping that look very little different from the world around us. As I said, I hardly knew what to do with this text because I know that hundreds of us do not care to be generous or prayerful or sacrificial. And that is a painful truth. Our discipleship as a church as a whole has not reached the point where these habits matter to us at a core place. And when a preacher points out that Jesus actually talked about these things a lot, it's a lot easier to get mad at the preacher than to listen to Jesus and to ask ourselves the hard question, 
Am I being faithful in all of the ways that my Lord Jesus has called me to be faithful as a disciple of His? I mentioned this to an elder this week, and he managed to find a bright side in this. He said, you know, when I coach kids at Upward Basketball, it's always harder to correct a bad habit than it is to teach them to do it right in the first place. Maybe this is the chance for the Holy Spirit to teach us how to do these things right in the first place. All right then. What say we begin as a church and deepen as a church to develop these Christ-honoring worship habits together? We are in a month of covenant. This November month, we're calling it our month of covenant. And last week, we handed out, we handed them all out. So we had to print up more. I think 1,200 and some journals. If you didn't get one of these, raise your hand because find right here, there's basket in the front and basket in the back. So I need to conscript you guys to help. And there's some in the back. So look there. Look underneath your pew up there. Someone's got to find the baskets. I need two people here, two people here. Find the baskets. Same place over there. And would you please hand these out? If you did not have a chance to get this journal, just raise your hand because we want to make sure everyone has one. And, do, and there are some in the back balcony. Okay, good. Thank you. Pass those out. So keep your hands up and they'll hand this to you because this is something I'm hoping that we will do as an entire church. This journal is a journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Day by day, we're going to read a little bit of it every day. We're going to read testimonies of what people have done with what they have read. And we are going to begin to write down what God is telling us to do. Not what anyone else is telling. What is the Holy Spirit telling us to do about what it means to be a faithful disciple of Jesus? And then we're going to do something crazy. On November 23rd, we're going to come together for what we call Covenant Sunday. And we're going to fill out a covenant card. And we are going to list in there the things that over this month the Lord has been leading us personally to do. And we're going to turn it in in a, self, in a self-addressed envelope, sealed. And we're going to put it in in worship as part of our worship service. No one's going to read it. No one's going to review what you have written. This is between you and the Lord. And then three months later, we're going to mail it back to you, and you're going to have a chance to see, how am I doing? How am I doing in my covenant with the Lord to be faithful? And because we know that this is more than just working hard and screwing up our self-control, we're going to pray. Starting this Wednesday and every Wednesday of this month, we're calling the church to a time of fasting and prayer. In the morning, starting in the morning, we're going to say, please, would you refrain from eating? And then we're going to break our fast together when we come together at night for dinner and for the table. Most of us are probably going to go without food. Some of us are going to go without something else. The staff hasn't heard this yet, but we as a staff are going to go without email from 8 in the morning till noon on Wednesday. That is way more a big deal to us than not eating muffins, I'll tell you that. But we are going to stop doing that for a season and for a time. We're actually going to walk down the hallway and talk to each other if we have something we need to tell one another on Wednesdays. Maybe there's something that, like that that you would give up on Wednesday so that you could focus instead on the Lord. Next Saturday, we're going to serve. I'll bet hundreds of you have not yet taken seriously the invitation to be a part of Serve Saturday. Why not? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of what your church is doing to serve this community? I hope every one of us will go back, sign up, and say, that's part of my covenant. I want to be faithful in my time in the way that we heard from the Martins today. This is what we're going to do as a church to help us become more and more authentic worshipers of the Lord. You know, the tough thing about a message like this is it's going to make some people mad. I, I like people to like me. 
I don't want people to be mad at me. But I suspect that when Jesus preached it, they were mad at him too. And I really have come to the point about messages like this and passages like that where I, I say, I can't worry about that. I can't worry about that. The fact is, Jesus talked about these things because they were deep spiritual matters of the heart. He didn't want phony, ostentatious hypocrites. He wanted authentic, heartfelt followers. And he still does. People who love him and obey him and want to worship him with their hearts and their lives and their wealth and their habits. So I would say to you, if you're convicted by some of these words today, good. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So listen to the Spirit Pay attention to what he is telling you to do and do it. And if you are angry, I would just say be careful. For you might find yourself resisting the deep work that the Spirit wants to do in your heart. In the end, you don't have to make me happy. You don't have to impress the elders. You don't have to impress your friends or your pew mates. All that does is make you a hypocrite if that's what you're about. In the end, what you want is to play your life for an audience of one. Don't you? You want to play your life for an audience of one, the only one that matters. And it is God's attention, God's notice, God's praise, God's delight, and yes, as Jesus taught, God's reward. That's what matters. And that's all. It's up to you. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that you would take your perfect word given to us in Scripture, my fumbling words as I have sought to share this with our church, and your spirit would do the work that you need to do in every heart. May this be a place that more and more it can be said by you, for you, the only judge that matters, they are authentic followers of mine. They are radical and revolutionary followers of mine. They worship me in a way that pleases me. They are seeking to be authentic before me and not looking around to see if others are noticing. God, may we be those kind of worshipers, those kind of givers, those kinds of prayers, those kinds of fasters. May we be those kinds of people. And, Lord, as you also taught, as we seek to please you and perform for you, May the world look on, and may our light so shine that they will give glory to you in heaven. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.